When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon, it's Cindy. Cindy Adams, the New York Post, Cindy Adams. I would like to talk about a friend I lost this week. We lost Ivana, Ivana Trump. She was larger than life. Blonde hair with extra pieces stuffed in. Long eyelashes with extra fakes glued in an East 64th Street townhouse, French furniture, sometimes with fresh gold paint touching up the arms and legs. That's what she was. She always touched up, and everything was always gold and shiny and burnished. I was at the Donald Ivana wedding. I was with Donald when he was courting her. In her earliest days, when he brought her up to us, and what was not to fall for her? What was not for him to like? She was a skier, gorgeous, blonde, skinny, bosomy, international. She stood out brighter than a lead bulb, larger than life. Ivana talked, she joked. She dressed. Go out, she'd have an orange handbag with matching shoes. We loved her. He loved her. Like him, she was larger than life. She opened a new continent for Donald. It wasn't manufacturers on 7th Avenue. Not the overalls schlepping cement for Donald's buildings. It was Europe, Paris, Sardinia, Saint-Tropez, a new world, new properties, new real estate opportunities, new royal titles for friends suddenly opened for Donald. If you get past that thing where she told me she wanted Paris Hilton to play her, if you get past that, which was very hard for me to get past, other than that, she was smart, very smart. Nobody was smarter. She knew it. He knew it. We all knew it. You know, in retrospect, that possibly might have triggered their less than thrilling years. When Donald bought the Plaza Hotel, Ivana did the doing, decorating, dictating, directing. You had a question, Ivana did the answering. The problem became over the years, she was so smart, smart, very smart, on top of everything, but maybe not always when it came to her husband, who always wanted to be smarter than anyone. 
He was like many a big-time, rich-time guy. It's been known that their eyes and other parts are known to play pin the tail on someone new. We know, everyone knows, the news, TV, radio, even, even huts in African villages now know, he then began an affair with Marla Maples. I had the story. On my wall is glued a half dozen New York Post headlines like How Sweet It Is. Sweet was spelled S-U-I-T-E, as in where they were staying. That was an early Marla Maple story. Another that's glued on my ceiling and was my front page. It said, Donald Breaks a Date. It all began back those days with whispers, rumors. Then it hardened into a, yeah, so what? What's new about that type situation? We already heard that thing. Not knowing all the details right then at the time, because he was trusting friends, and trusting friends wouldn't say, we knew what it was turning into. But a few of us around him kept quiet. We knew they were hiding, skulking around, keeping in the shadows, maybe doing what the birds and bees and even a hotshot real estate guy might do. But he was married. And he was Donald, and he could become troublesome. Way back, before he married Ivana, when I was assistant to the president of the Miss Universe pageant, he was single. He managed to corral some of the candidates up to his room. That was a no-no. Police were around. Guardians were around. Chaperones were around. It was strictly against the rules, absolutely not allowed. But so what? He did it. He had blondes up in his room. I knew it. He admitted it to me. So did she. That was the Donald I knew. Marla was maybe something that was just another pillow. So I'd heard whatever gossip dribbled out, but in the early days, I did nothing. My colleague, Liz Smith, broke the story. She broke it because I was very close to Donald. She knew I would take Donald's part. So Marla was quiet, but Ivana was speaking, and Ivana spoke to Liz. She broke the story when Marla was by then fused onto Donald's various parts. Ivana, then fully aware of what was happening and what looked like could maybe be happening, phoned Liz to tell her to get her side of the story out first. Me, I then called Donald and it became a volleyball. Ivana to Liz, Donald to me. That was how the story came out.
Valentine's Day, February 14, 1990, when I then spoke with Donald as I was every single day, he told me, quote, we're just friends, end quote. One of the great phrases of all time. I mentioned that I thought that was an understatement. And then, as we continued our conversation, I asked him about his secret visits to a hideaway. He had quietly booked a suite at the San Moritz Hotel. That is where he and the Georgia Peach, as he called her, would do whatever seemed to come naturally. And wait, I'm going on, but I can't find what I was going to say. So wait just a second. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. I wrote a few lines that I wanted to tell. Ivana and I shared the pain of losing her multiple co-Yorkies. She always had a Yorkshire Terrier, and so did I. I don't know why she did, but for me, because I was the new York Post, so it was always a Yorkie. In those days, she was repped by lawyer J. Goldberg. She loved dinner at the now-closed East 60 Rotisserie Georgette. She lived in the neighborhood. She was then on the cover of James Edstrom's book on 80s fashion. She was everywhere. Off from Aspen one winter, skiing, I remember she lost seven suitcases. I don't remember how she lost them, since she always had a car and driver and private plane. But whatever it was, she lost them. She was launching a new fragrance at the time. She spent an evening with her children on their yacht in between. She wrote her second book titled On My Own. There was never a moment Ivana wasn't doing something that was promoting either Ivana or Donald. Then came things that were not so good, and she summered in London with a guy called Ricardo. He was her next husband. The summer lasted longer than Ricardo. She did a pocketbook novel titled Free to Love. She attended a woman's power lunch at the Rainbow Room. She was up cooking Thanksgiving turkey at 5 a.m. despite all her other appointments. She would wash the dishes if the housekeeper didn't show up. She never spent a moment not doing something. Once she and Beverly Sills gave a party for the New York City Opera. They were dressed as opera characters. She skated across Wallman Rink, the ice skating rink that Donald created. She toured the world's sister hotels over two weeks. In 88, she redid the Eloise Suite in the plaza. She never, never stopped. In 88, Ivana got her American citizenship. She gave employees of the plaza 1,100 turkeys on Thanksgiving. She attended Princess Diana's gala. She was upset 
when carpet for the plaza lobby was delayed. She would do a ladies' luncheon at La Grunwy. She posed for Vogue over a weekend. She was in Deborah Raffin's Christmas book at the same time. She went to Czechoslovakia with her children for her father's funeral. She was available for lectures through the William Morris Agency. And before I have to look for an agency to get me another job, I'm going to take a little break just at this moment for the station break. And then I will come back and it will be more on Ivana Trump. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, I began talking about Ivana. I've known Ivana all her American life when she came here. And I did several stories about it, front page stories in the New York Post this week. And I spoke to Donald about it. And I spoke to her daughter, Ivanka, about it. So I did a little earlier in this broadcast on Ivana. I now want to do more about it. Ivana was fully aware of what was happening when he was having this romance with Marla. And what looked like could maybe be happening, she, as I said, phoned Liz Smith to tell her to get her side of the story out. I called Donald, and it became a volleyball. Ivana to Liz, Donald to me. Valentine's Day, February 14, 1990. When I spoke with Donald, he told me, we're just friends. Yeah, I mentioned that I thought that was an understatement. Then I asked him about his secret visits to the hideaway he had quietly booked at the St. Moritz Hotel, where he and the Georgia Peach, as he called her, would do whatever seemed to come naturally. Our phone calls were daily. He began to slowly unspool. He told me, and this is a direct quote because I have it in the column I wrote then. He told me, she is so much better than a 10, you can't believe it. Okay. He also told me, I will treat Ivana fairly. He didn't then know that my next headline was to be Ivana putting forth her demand, which was, give me the plaza. What he didn't tell me at that moment was that right after we spoke, he met with Ivana's lawyer, who was then Michael Kennedy. Donald was then saying, I will not hold Ivana to the terms of our prenuptial agreement. I will sweeten the pot. Yeah. I asked how good that pot was planning to be, especially she was becoming a newly separated wife. His answer was, you knew us both in the early days when we were dating. You know I've always been good to Ivana. I will always be good to her. So I asked her how good's good. He said, I have great affection for Ivana. I will always have warm feelings for her. I listened to him, but I can never say he sounded teary. He also said at that time that Marla, who by then had moved out of her Upper West Side apartment and was dug in at the San Moritz, he never said more than, right now, she's just a friend. 
Yeah, a close friend. Meanwhile, a quiet divorce was already in the works. The lawyer spoke out and blindsided Donald, who said he double-crossed me, knifed me in the back. He was not supposed to have said so. As we were speaking, an upgraded divorce settlement was already in the works. Donald and I spoke daily. He said, look, let's say just that as you grow older, things happen. And sometimes a couple grows apart. It's just a fact of life. This is often what happens. This isn't just something that only happened to me and to nobody else in the whole world. He continued on with, but another thing I'll say is that even though we've grown apart, it does not diminish my love for Ivana. Ivana, gorgeous, talented, smart, sense of humor. There was lots of love for and around Ivana. Afterwards, she lived well. She dated well. She shopped well. She married again, not so well. He was Italian, tall, handsome. They're always tall and handsome, but this didn't go well. Ivana never stopped. She wrote books. She put out a fragrance. She appeared on the First Wives Club show. She'd get up 5.30 in the morning to walk her Yorkie dog. She did a March of Dimes cookout. She did a commercial. She had dolls. She'd go to London and have parties. She'd arrive late after Curtin was up at some Broadway shows. She also sued Donald. And years and headlines later, she was seated far away from Melania at a Chanel fashion show. She was courted around by some Austrian prince. She got invited to British prince things. One of her gowns was shown for the Prince Charles Trust auction. She posed for Vogue. She was a guest on ETV. And, you know, it was odd that Donald's three wives all had names that ended in the letter A. Ivana, Marla, Melania. She helped women for Columbia Grammar School's fundraiser. She was a guest on ETV, a prince whose name was Max Schomburg Lip of Australia. I never heard of him before, and I never heard of him since. Anyway, he escorted her wherever. In 08, Ivanka gave her mom a gift certificate to her own jewelry store. In a commercial she did for Trump Tower, it was in London. Her prenup got mentioned in connection to Elton John marrying David Furnish. She took her own mother to Rome, gave a March of Dimes cookout at the plaza. She hosted a VIP screening of The Affair with Count Raffredo, whoever he was. When her hairdresser was busy, oh, this was always so great. She always looked great. When her hairdresser was busy, she sent her hairpiece by limousine to the hairdresser. 
The hairdresser fixed it, tinted it, brushed it, pinned it. Then it went back to Havana by limo. She also did a book based on Gossip Column Me. Gossip Columnist Me. She dined with her in-laws at Le Cirque. It was a hot restaurant then. It isn't now. Palm Beach Lawyers Commission got sneaky about her swimming pool. She was heading to Saint-Tropez, actually, this very week. And Ivana Marie Zelnikova, born February 20, 1949, in Gatvalden, Czechoslovakia, could have said, Ivana, get it all. You know why? Because she did. Okay, that was Ivana. Now I'm thinking New York, and I'm thinking Donald calling me. It was the day just before her funeral. New Yorkers all know about falling off the edge, or at least living on it. I was having not such a good day, a pedicure, a manicured fingernail was still wet. I had a cranky dog barking on his way to the vet because his paw hurts, and the phone rings. It's called POTUS, P-O-T-U-S. That's President of the United States, number 45, Donald Trump. Not a professional phone call. Simple. There was no political chat. He wasn't charming. He wasn't funny. He wasn't anything. He was just talking to an old friend, me. We were two human beings who have long shared our years, life, death, success, tragedies, another in many ways, a lifetime. I am not talking politically. I am talking humanly. So Donald said, I'm here. I'm not in Florida. I'm in New York. How am I feeling? I'm feeling okay. I had some rest, a little sleep, but I'm sad. This was the day before the funeral. The voice was very low. And he said, you know, I'm just thinking how well, he said to me, how well you knew Ivana. You knew her very well. You knew her from the first, from the very beginning, from when I first met her. She was beautiful. She was special. I know you and she liked each other from the earliest day. There was a short pause, and then quietly, you know, she was outstanding. She was beautiful inside and out. We, the two of us, began all of it, our lives together, with such a great relationship. So I asked, Donald, what do you remember as one of her greatest attributes? So he said that she was different, that she never gave up. Beautiful? Yes but she was also a hard worker. No matter how rough things were or how badly they looked, she never 
fell down. She went from communism to our lives together. She took nothing for granted. A second's pause, and then, since we had just lost someone who was so meaningful to us, I asked if he thought we were also about to lose our country. Donald said, it's horrible. We have never been at such a low point. That trip to Saudi Arabia, we have more oil than they have. This man in Washington is setting us all back, setting everybody back. A second's pause, then, look, let's you and me, let's us, just manage to get through this awful, painful experience. And after that, just remember, 79 is not old. Okay, station break, and then I'm right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am now about to speak with Brian Darcy James. Brian Darcy James has been on Broadway stages more often than William Shakespeare. How many awards do you have, my friend? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, I have a, a few that, that I, I have tucked to some way in, in the closet, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I've got a few. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? How many do you have? If I had all those awards, I would certainly know what they are. You don't have them well, out? There, so, you know, there, there's all kinds of awards you can get and, and, you know, all kinds of recognition from, from, you know, the, the, the business and from colleagues and stuff. So I suppose the biggest, the biggest one that I have that I'm, I'm super proud of is a, a SAG Ensemble Award for the movie Spotlight. Um, that was, that's quite an honor. And uh, that is, uh, that is displayed proudly in my, uh, in my, in my apartment. Do you dust the thing every once in a while? <laughs> I should dust it. No, I should. I, 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 I'm terrible uh, with dusting. Okay. Just in case a couple of people are not in New York or don't know what's happening in our city, tell us what show are you in at the moment? Right now I'm doing a beautiful musical called Into the Woods by the late, great Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine. And um, it is a very, very funny and moving and uh, you know, the score is obviously beautiful because it's by Sondheim. Um, and it's really set around fairy tale 
characters that we all know and love, like Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk. And it's essentially about people wanting to have, you know, their wishes come true and what happens when they do get their wishes. And um, it's the first act is, uh, is very different from the second act in that sense. You see the consequences of getting what you wish. And um, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, we're all having a blast doing it. What do you play? I played a, a character called The Baker. And the baker is, uh, he's in, married to the baker's wife. These are our characters' names. And um, their wish is to have a child. And in order to do that, it's, it's kind of a convoluted story, but they basically have to go into the woods to uh, undo a spell that was put on their house by a, by a witch, the witch who lives next door. And so it's, it's about their journey, trying to find out, you know, how to undo this spell so they can have their one big true wish, which is to have a child. And, of course, that's fraught with uh, all kinds of shenanigans. Um, so I play the baker. That's, that's the role I play. Isn't this a reprise? When was this? Op- when did this open on Broadway originally? Uh, I believe 1987 was the ver- first production of it. And then uh, there was a revival in 2001 or two, I believe. And uh, this production was born out of uh, the city center concert series uh, not long ago. And um, it did, did very well there. And uh, I think they felt they had lightning in a bottle and and uh, had the good sense to uh, find a commercial space for it here at the St. James, which is where we are now. Um, and I have to say, it's 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 going great guns. People are are, are you know so so desirous of this. I think of theater in general, um, but there's such an affinity, and a, a um, you know people are are very eager to see Sondheim uh, represented, especially in in you know his recent passing. I think there's a great appetite to honor him and to uh, celebrate him. And so we're, we're experiencing the, 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 the benefit of all that. Did you ever F up on stage? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, what, one, of, one of the things about this show that is very tricky is that Sondheim is, um, is, he's got a lot of lyrics that are very quick and very tricky. And, um, yeah, there have been many times where I have, I have, um, replaced his words you know please don't tell anybody that i've done this no uh, god but, knows uh, i won't yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay but, so how do you recover or does somebody help you does somebody cure you well um you know sometimes it's so it's so bad that you just have to acknowledge that it's happened and you know uh, not not to say that i ever want to repeat those experiences but there is kind of a great fun in uh, in having people witness that the kind of uh, the sheer embarrassment of it all. Yeah, but you know, know. We're, we're only human, and so so it can kind of lend a certain sense of fun to the moment. Um, that's only if you get back on track, which thankfully uh, has been the case. Listen, I was I was on stage back in the seat when I was eleven years old, and I had to turn to the audience once, and I'd say. Listen, do you know where I am? I can't remember where I am. I actually asked the audience because I was I couldn't find where I was. So you never had to do something as bad as that, right? Not yet, but you know, life is long. And okay. now that I know that that's one of the options, I'm definitely putting that in my back pocket. <laughs> okay. I always meant to ask you. I've only known you 5,000 years and I never asked you. Why do you have three names? Well, well, I think most people do. Uh, I have uh, I have three names professionally because when I joined the union, Actors Equity, there was already a Brian James. And so rather than change my name, I just added my middle name. 
And so um, consequently, I constantly feel like I'm, you know, being reprimanded by my mother by having my full name repeated. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> isn't that the case when you're getting trouble? You get, you get the full three names. But, um, yeah, so that's always been since 1988. Uh, I've had my full name as a contractual thing with the uh, with the union. Well, where, how, how did your mother get to the name Darcy? Well, interestingly, it was my dad's brother's name. His name is John Darcy James. And um, where that came from exactly, I'm not sure why my grandparents settled on that name. But it's Irish, and it's you know obviously no, it's French influence from the Norman the Norman influence in Ireland uh, in the 1800s. So uh, it's it's Irish and French, and uh, and uh, you know I've got a small D, I've got a capital A, I've got an apostrophe in there, I've got I've got basically <laughs> every glyph in the alphabet in my name. When when you're talking about Irish background. Didn't you play an Irishman in The Ferryman? I saw The Ferryman. I did. I did. Cindy, that was one of the highlights of my, my career, just being in that play. I, it was an extraordinary play by Jez Butterworth. And, um, yeah, that was a, a great play about Northern Ireland. And um, I had the great fortune, uh, along with uh, a company of 18 uh, American actors and Irish and English actors who came in to replace the original cast, and um, but I, I just think that's one of the best plays I've ever read or seen, let alone been in. So yes, I'm so glad you you mentioned that because I I have a, a great great uh, love for that show. How did you get started in the first place? I started in high school uh, watching my sister, who is a great singer, and she's a, a theater educator in Chicago. And uh, she was always doing the musicals, and so kind of like that song um, from a chorus line, I can do that. You know, where the, where the brother watches his sister go to tap class. I was kind of doing the same thing with my sister and was really curious and kind of envious of, of this, these things that she would do on stage. And uh, so that's how I began. And then I went to, uh, I studied acting at Northwestern University. And that's when I really kind of fell in love with it as a, as a science and a, and a skill and a, you know, and a, and a tool set. So, uh, but it started just, you know, just by, by, by witnessing my sister and my parents, thankfully, were, were huge fans of theater and were always taking us to community plays and driving us down to Detroit to, to see, you know, touring companies. I remember seeing Annie in 1982 down in Detroit at the Fisher Theater. And so I was exposed to it a lot. And I was just always I always gravitated towards it. How lousy were you in your first shot? acting? <laughs> I think everyone, like a like a like a horse, a, a fool that's just trying to walk. Yeah, you stumble, you fall down quite a bit. Um, but you know, I always felt really comfortable um, and confident. Strangely, it was the thing doing theater really gave me a, a confidence in myself. I was a little kid, I was a little guy, and I played sports a lot. And you know, it became clear that that wasn't going to be uh, that wasn't going to be my future pretty quickly when everyone kept growing and I didn't. Um, but I could always sing, and um, that that really gave me a sense of uh, of, of a, a place of home and um, and confidence. And so, um, but yeah, starting off, it, it's never pretty when you start. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but the singing, <laughs> what does a guy do to protect his voice? When back in the old days, when my husband was around and he was doing some vaudeville, we had a singer that was in the car with us, and we had to close the windows and shut this and do that. To protect the voice, are you a wacko like that too? You have to, you <laughs> yes. have to breathe in stuff and whatever. 
Well, you know, um, I, I don't know if I would call myself a wacko to that degree, but but I will say that doing a musical, it is, you know, I'm not the first person to say this. You kind of have to live like a monk because yeah, you, you do have to protect your voice. You do have to be careful. And especially these days, it goes without saying, just with COVID and, and you know, people's health is of paramount, um, you know, importance uh, in the th- everywhere, obviously. But in the theater, it's a contact sport. So you have to stay healthy and you have to stay kind of, you know, you have to be really careful. Um, and um, I, I'm just coming off of a bout of COVID, COVID myself, and I'm having all kinds of issues congestion-wise with my chest and my, my head. And so it's a constant um, conversation, let's say, with yourself to figure out how you're doing today and what you need to do to mitigate whatever it is that's, that's bothering you or getting in the way. So it, it is, you know what, I'm going to amend my answer. I am a wacko. So, yes, I'm full wacko when it comes to these things. This is so good. I'm glad I asked the question. What about what about going out afterwards, after you do a show and after you've done a matinee? Do you go out afterwards to have dinner, or how does it work? Well, no, not these days. Again, you know, in the time of COVID, it's, it's really about trying to, for me, I'll speak for myself, just trying to keep my footprint as light and low as possible um, but the older I get, the more, the more, you know, the more I want to just go home and, and, you know, watch the news as opposed to going out. A lot of that has to do with care, self-care, and just, you know, again, preserving and protecting my voice and making sure I can do my job. Um, you know, as everyone knows, the older you get, the, the less elastic you are with bouncing back from certain, certain activities. So um, I, I'm, I'm tending to be more, more cautious and uh, preventative than, than usual these days. What about the pandemic? How much did it knock you down? Or how do you all protect yourselves backstage? Or how did it work when, when we were in the thick of it? Oh, boy. Well, you know, again, uh, everyone, everyone has experienced this to, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, some great and some not as great. But uh, we're all living through it. Uh, the theater has been, you know, an industry that has been hit hard by it. And, um, you know, in, in the midst of it, um, I, like everybody else, is watching, you know, from seclusion and quarantine. Yes, I think maybe we're going to conclude this. I could speak to you for about an hour and a half more, but our oh. station is, the equipment is not as good as you are. So somewhere oh. it's faulty, and I'm getting rid of you. And thank you, and I love you, Brian. <laughs> Indeed, thank you so much. It's, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you will. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, sweetheart. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I would now like to say that this week, the day before the funeral for Ivana, her daughter Ivanka called me. And it's not easy to lose a mother. I know. I lost mine. One treasure this glamorous, gorgeous, blonde lady Ivana left us was her glamorous, gorgeous, blonde daughter, Ivanka. Like her, don't like her. She is something special. Ivanka said, My mother was my role model. No matter how busy she was, she was always there for us. She was always there to comfort us. She knew what it meant to demonstrate ownership. My mother was a role model for all of us in the business world. No matter where you go or who you meet, you must recognize 
there were not too many like her in anyone's life. So I said, yeah, I understand, but if if I was going to write this or, or tell it to someone, how would you, as her daughter, actually describe your mother? And Ivanka said to me, wicked, vim, vigor. My mother brought joy and self-confidence. Understand, it stemmed from her birth and upbringing. She came from a communist country, from denial, being nothing, having nothing. The Czech Republic background was her rationale for loving the fine things, for what was rich, what spelled glamour, seeing the best is what defined who she was. Now, in the meantime, we have all joked that Ivana was a bit over the top, a little over glamorous, a little over dressed. She'd wear a fur coat that had fur inside. If she was wearing a necklace, she'd also wear a bracelet and earrings and a brooch. But as Vanka has explained, it was because she came from nothing and she was so grateful to have become something. Ivanka said my mother was wicked. She was vim, full of vim. She was full of vigor. She brought joy. She brought self-confidence. She was understated, but it stemmed from her birth, her upbringing. She came from a communist country. She had nothing. The Czech Republic background was her rationale for loving the best, for what was super rich, what spelled glamour, luxury, wealth, for seeing the best and what defined who she was. Yes, she was bold. Overdressed maybe sometimes, but no matter what, where or who she was, my mother was always there for us, for her kids, for her family. No matter what was going on in the headlines or what was going on with the marriage, she was always the person to go to. If need be, she would actually act as our housekeeper. When the housekeeper didn't show up, she was the housekeeper. She would be the one to wash the dishes, and she did. Said Ivanka, before their marriage, my mother had become a world-class athlete. Not easy to summon personal strength and discipline, then revert to a communist country. Ivana, my mother, learned about drive. She acquired grace where there was none. Words to describe my mother would be unbridled, lots of fun, energetic, exhausting. She'd tire out people, even men younger than she. When they owned the plaza, this is Ivanka speaking, when they owned the plaza, it wasn't all comportment and grace. I would come from school and she'd let me run with her through the halls. I'd follow her. Yes, she loved the fine things and would criticize what she thought was weren't. weren't. 
in Saint-Tropez one day, I came down in what I thought was a pretty dress, and she complained, your hemline is too long, your dress hangs down too low, you look too plain. My mother loved life. My mother could and did go off on a boat ride at 1 a.m. and come back at 4 a.m. Nothing would stop that powerful will inside her. My mother was a one of a kind. When she arrived to get her nails done, they looked better than those on whomever was doing her manicure. A one of a kind? Listen, I would say my mother was ahead of her time. Describing her would be bold, glamorous, personal strength and discipline, also grace and drive, also humor and joy, plus self-confidence. But she could also be wicked. Ivanka paused for a moment on our telephone conversation, and then she said, My mother's unbridled energy could be fun, but there was so much chemistry that at times it could be exhausting for people younger than she. So this was a couple of days before Ivana's funeral. So I asked Ivanka at that time, which was maybe only two days before the funeral, I said, what are the preparations for her eternity? She said, I don't know yet. We are still trying to figure out what that was. Okay. Maybe I have done quite a bit today on Donald, Ivana, and Ivanka. Maybe because I'm sort of in the mood and then you can shut me up. And there are people who don't like the Trumps and will think they don't want to hear anymore. And after this, I won't do anymore. But since I'm now on a rant, I'll tell you a few other things. I met Donald at a party 150,000 years ago. He was fresh out of Wharton. I was young. I was just a model. I was nobody. I was married to a comedian by the name of Joey Adams. Joey knew a lawyer by the name of Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn was not such a nice guy. He was famous, but not such a nice guy. However, because he was quasi-political, he knew Joey. Because my Joey was called someone who was always the MC at every dinner. Like if a priest became a bishop, Joey would emcee the dinner at the Waldorf. So Roy got to know Joey. Roy Cohn gave Joey a birthday party every single year. So there was this time when I was not even married to Joey, 150,000 years ago. There was a very small dinner party that Roy gave. He gave it out in Long Island, at the home of one of the people who was in New York City government then and probably ended up in the can, as most of the people at that time did. It was a small party, and there were like five tables with four or five people at each table, no one I recognized. And I'm sitting down, 
and this guy sits next to me. And I said to him, so who are you? He said, my name is Donald Trump. And I said, okay, so? So what's a Donald Trump? And Roy Cohn, standing behind him, said, one day this kid is going to own New York. So now you fade in, you fade out, and you go maybe a thousand years into the future. The night Donald was elected president, I was standing with him in his office. It was hours before he made his acceptance speech at the hotel about two or three in the morning. This was about 10 at night. We were standing in his office in Trump Tower, just the two of us, nobody else. His family was standing behind him. Behind the family were standing all the people who were working on the campaign. But in the middle of the room was standing only alone by himself, Donald, with me at his side. He was staring at one of seven flat table, flat TVs that were up on the wall. And all he said to me was, nothing else. He just said to me, do you remember what Roy Cohn said to me that day? I said, yeah, I do remember. That was the only word he said to me the night he was elected. He said nothing else. He spoke to no one else in his office. So do I remember Donald and Ivana? Yes. I will probably always remember them. I understand that many of you out there don't share that feeling or don't like him. We all have our own likes and our dislikes. I am only saying he was a friend to me and for me for a lifetime. And now I am going to say goodbye. I am going to hope you will tune me in again next Sunday at 1 o'clock on WABC 770 on the AM dial. And I will be there. And I thank you for listening. This is Cindy Adams. Bye.